Good morning. It's good to see all of you today in Pastor Joy. And I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word today. It won't be on the screen, so if you would like to follow along, I invite you to look in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Just a minute. I'm controlling the slides myself right now. There we go. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So this fall and this year, holistically, we are focusing on together the gospel. What is the gospel? How do we proclaim it? What is the good news story that God has given Christians to share with others? And right now, we're in a season where we are looking at heresies. Because sometimes, to understand what something is, we need to also understand very clearly what it is not. And so today, we're looking at the heresy of Gnosticism. The heresy of Gnosticism. Now, maybe this isn't a word you use very much. Maybe you didn't say it this morning. I did, but that was different. Um, it's not one thing, actually, Gnosticism. It's sort of a constellation of ideas. And, and it's very old. Gnosticism is a very old constellation of ideas. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're first going to learn, what is Gnosticism? How do we understand it? And then, how does it show up today, even if we don't use this word to describe it? And then finally, how does the Christian faith, how does the word of God and the story of Jesus speak into and against Gnosticism? So, first, what is Gnosticism? Well, 
Like many beliefs, Gnosticism is based on a story. Gnosticism, unlike some of the other stories that heresies we've looked at, has a creation myth of its own. And I would like to tell you this myth. So in the beginning, there was something called the pleroma. And that means the fullness of all things. And it dwelt, this pleroma, in a spiritual realm, not a physical realm. And it was full of peace and unity. And, and one day, in its self-reflection, something happened to the pleroma. It shattered. This was bad. And it shattered into little shards of souls and shards of light. And one of these parts of the pleroma, also little bits of gods here and there, was called the demiurge. And the demiurge was a sort of god, different than the god we affirm, because this god, demiurge, was not all-powerful and a little malevolent. And in his malevolence, demiurge decided to create the cosmos. That's where we live. And because Demiurge was not all-powerful and a little bit malevolent, that explains why we have so many problems today. So when you get a flat tire, you can blame it on Demiurge. When it rains on the parade, you can blame it on Demiurge. When there is an earthquake or a tornado or a catastrophe in nature or in your life, or in your embodied existence, when there is trouble, when there is evil that affects us all in a material way, that is all the problem of demiurge. Actually, in this idea, can you see how creation is evil? Right? It comes from a god who's malevolent. That's the problem in, in Gnostic thinking. So when there's a problem, we always have to look for a solution, right? So we have to go back and think about the time before, the time when there was the pleroma. And guess what? My soul, your soul, all the humans, our souls were part of that pleroma in the past. And so our salvation is to somehow get out of this material world and go back to the pleroma because all of us are a shard of light. And we need to go back to that good place from whence we began. This is the Gnostic myth. And there are teachers throughout history who have affirmed this Gnostic myth, including in this worldview, Jesus of Nazareth, who, yes, we have his stories in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but did you know that there are also secret other stories that have been hidden away? Books like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas, and these really tell the truth of what this good teacher human man Jesus taught. I like to say in, in one of these Gospels, it also says that it's a lot easier for a man to, uh, for his shard of light to go back to the pleroma than a woman because women are more material and more evil than men, but um, just adding that. So that's our goal, right? The secret, the way to get out of this evil material world is to flagellate to get out of this material body and back into the shard, back our shard of light, back into the pleroma. And this is one version of the Gnostic myth. Anyone believe it? <laughs> right? Probably not. You know, Gnosticism was a huge problem in the early church. It was a huge 
problem. It was such a problem, actually, that, that many of the original writings were destroyed by people such as Irenaeus of Lyon. Irenaeus wrote against Gnosticism in a big book called Against the Gnostics. Because Gnosticism is counter to some fundamental ideas in Christianity, such as our theology of creation, our theology of salvation, right? In the Gnostic idea, salvation is for the soul to escape the body. And then, and then what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus die if this Gnostic myth is true? So the gospel of Gnosticism is very, very different from the gospel of Christianity. Now, no one really believes that myth I just told anymore, anymore right? We don't encounter church of the demiurge. However, there are Gnostic ideas that have permeated culture for thousands of years who rear their heads up in cultures again and again. And I would argue fairly strongly that even though we don't tell this myth anymore, the beliefs in it are still prevalent in our culture. So there are two core ideas here. First, in order to understand and have knowledge, that's why this is called Gnosticism, Gnosis means knowledge. In order to understand the universe, we need to discover secret knowledge. There is secret knowledge out there for you to understand and find out, right? And that's how you can become enlightened towards salvation. And then secondly, creation and matter, including the human body, is entirely bad and evil, and the soul is entirely good, and they are two different things. Both of those are counter to Christianity, but both of those come up a lot in modern life. First of all, understanding the universe requires secret knowledge. We see this today all the time. It's not called Gnosticism, it's often called conspiracy theories. Secrets that explain why we have the trouble we have. We see this in ideas like QAnon or this concept of the deep state, this idea that there's a sort of secret cabal of people controlling things and pulling the strings. This comes out in many ways, right? Denial of the true story of 9-11, that it was an inside job, that the moon landing was faked, right? And belief in these conspiracies theories offer people reason and rationale for understanding evil and sin in our world. There's a reason to it. But from a Christian perspective, I'd like to say we actually already have true knowledge that explains the problems in the world. And not in a conspiratorial way, but in a true way from scripture. You know why there's all this trouble in the world? It's because of sin. And it affects everything, not just institutions out there, but each one of us individually. One of the things that Gnosticism does is it puts the sin out there on those people, on those groups, on those things, rather than seeing that the line between good and evil goes down the heart of every single human person. Sin is relegated to those who are against us. Sin permeates each of us, each structure in the world, each of our lives, and each of our experiences. 
Old Testament scholar Drew Johnson, who I really appreciate, uh, has done a lot of fascinating work on how, how we think as Christians and rituals that we embody. But his background um, is in the military. And in, in some of his work on conspiracy theories, he tells a story about how when he was in the military, before he was um, a biblical scholar, he served in Colombia in a counter-narcotics operation. He worked in a true covert counter-narcotics operation. And, and from his experience, he's like, you know what? We did the best we could, but the idea that there is a whole huge government orchestrated conspiracy is pretty impossible because you have to get everybody on board and it has to be sustained and coordinated and it has to have 100% buy-in from everyone. And the probability of this is very thin. We might as well believe in unicorns. You know, understanding, the, the idea that understanding the universe requires secret knowledge, I think is a, is a way that we as Christians can be led astray. Jesus said when he was talking about the last times, see to it that no one leads you astray. Do not be led astray by conspiracy theories. That's one of the ways we see Gnosticism in our modern world. The other way we see Gnosticism is in our modern world is this idea that the body is a shoebox for the soul. I wrote this sentence and then I realized it was a pun. So it wasn't on purpose. Anyway, the idea that the body is a shoebox for the soul, what's really valuable is what's inside the shoebox. And the shoebox itself has no value. It doesn't really matter. Um, historically now, when people believed this Gnostic idea, they had one extreme. There's sort of two extremes here. One extreme is, is that if you believe the body is a shoebox for the soul, you live an ascetic life because you want to, this is bad, you want to harm this, right? So you see this, you punish the body because it's the problem, right? It's got to go, you punish it. Now, truthfully, as a pastor in the 21st century, I do not see that much of this as a problem in our culture. I have seen it a few times where there's a false idea that the body is the problem and it needs to be punished so the soul can be released. But historically in the church, and this is one of the things Irenaeus was noticing, people would harm and hurt their bodies because they wanted to free their soul. So that would result in fasting to the point of self-starvation, flagellation of the body, wearing clothes that were intentionally painful, like hair shirts, things like that. So this is one extreme. But truthfully, it's not one I see much of. What I really see a lot of in, in Gnosticism today is this idea that the body is a shoebox for the soul. So you got to bedazzle it because <laughs> it doesn't matter. And it's a possession, right? The body is a possession of the self. It is not the self itself. Does that make sense? Right? It's something that's owned. The body becomes commodified as a possession. And it's because the idea that, again, it's the shoebox. It doesn't matter. What really matters is the soul, so I can do whatever I want to to the outside. And we see this hugely today. This is, this is a huge part of what our culture tells us to what it means to be human, that what it means to be human is really what's inside the shoebox, so it doesn't matter. 
what you do to the outside. You can, you can be or do whoever, whatever you want with your outsides because it's this, the soul that matters. This leads to sexual behavior out of line with biblical teaching. It leads to abuses of food and alcohol and drugs. It leads to obsession with external physical appearance. This is an overemphasis on the body. But if it's the soul that's who we really are, then we can really do whatever we want to with it, right? Anybody see these today? A few years ago, um, I was in uh, an interview. When you're a pastor, you get interviewed like for ordination and to graduate from your MDiv, and these ordinations and things like this always have to do with theology like what, and practice. What's your belief? What do you do? Um, and, and one of them, the, the committee had read a lot of the material I'd written and that heard sermons and um, they knew kind of my basic biography. And so the first question I was asked was, Joy, describe yourself in one word. Well, that's kind of hard. Um, and I thought about it for five seconds and I said, well, I'm anti-Gnostic. Um, and I told my husband later and he said, well, that's kind of two words. <laughs> but uh, I am anti-Gnostic. Because I believe, and I'm going to show you this uh, from scripture, that the views of the body and the soul that I'm sharing here are completely 100% unbiblical. God made us as people who are fully body and fully soul integrated. And we can see this in the entire narrative of scripture, from creation to resurrection. Scripture is also anti-Gnostic, and my hope is that you will be too. So, the biblical story is also anti-Gnostic. If we go back to Genesis 1 and read the sixth day of creation, every day of creation after God makes stuff, God says, good, it's good. In Hebrew, that's tov. Tov, it's good. God here, different from Demiurge, right? The good creator, God making good things and saying good. And then on the sixth day of creation, God makes humanity and God says, very good. In Hebrew, it rhymes. It's tov mahov, which I love. And we read in John 1 that Jesus was present with God at creation. Through him, everything was made, and without him, nothing could have been made. Our Lord Jesus Christ was present at creation. And in the story of God making humanity, it's this beautiful story in Genesis 2 where God takes earth and he forms earthlings. In Hebrew, God takes earth, which is Adama, and he forms Adam. So in English, it's earth, and he makes earthling. And then God breathes, ruah, the breath of God, into earthling, and earthling becomes a living being. Humans are made of material stuff. That's part of who we are. And then we have the breath of God in us. We are a duality that's united, body and soul together. That's what it means to be human. So creation itself is anti-Gnostic. We were created very good, body and soul together. That's the first thing. But then the incarnation, which Pastor Lars preached on last two weeks ago in talking about Christological heresies, right? The incarnation is our story of a God who becomes fully 
embodied human. Jesus was not God wearing a human costume. Jesus was fully enfleshed as a person. He was truly a baby. He spit up. Mary and Joseph had to change his diapers, if that's what they used in that time, and I don't know the history of diapering, right? Jesus went through adolescence. It wasn't pretend. It was real. He he didn't float around as pure soul, right? He was fully embodied. And, And even though Scripture tells us that Jesus condescended, he stooped to this, there is also still a wonderful mystery in that our God became flesh. And it actually elevates our humanity. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? It's, this is good. The incarnation of Jesus is anti-Gnostic. Because then when he died, he was also physically resurrected, and he also physically ascended. Jesus is still embodied. He will come back embodied. Our God is embodied in Christ. In John 1.14, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John wrote, and we have seen, he saw with his eyes, with his physical eyes, the physical reality of Jesus. We have seen his glory. And then finally, The Christian story is anti-Gnostic because of resurrection. First, the resurrection of Jesus, fully embodied resurrection, and also our own hope in the resurrection of the dead. The Gnostic hope is that one day the pure soul will leave the corrupt body when I shuffle off this mortal coil, right? And then at some point the material world will, be, will end and we will all incorporate once again as that pleroma, that fullness of souls and shards of light, right? That's the Gnostic hope. It is not the Christian hope. Now the reality is when we and ones we love experience death, there is a temporary separation of the body and the soul, which is one of the tragedies of death. And for for those who are in Christ, like Paul writes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can trust that those who are in Christ are present with the Lord. What does that look like? I don't know. But I I trust the promises of God there. But ultimately, our ultimate hope is in the resurrection of the body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. This is not souls. This is physical resurrection, and we will be changed. Our redemption is not disembodiment. It is full embodiment. Physical resurrection is Christian hope. Now, in the first century where many people already embraced many Gnostic ideas, this was crazy talk. We read about how Paul was faced with opposition from other people when he went around preaching the resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection with us, of us. In Acts chapter 17, when when Paul is in Athens, he's preaching about the resurrection of the dead. and, And we read, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. They made fun of him because it's a weird idea to people who think your freedom is when your soul goes away. But others said, We will hear you again about this. 
So the biblical story is also anti-Gnostic in a good creation, in a God who truly becomes flesh in Jesus, in the physical resurrection of Jesus, and the future hope for physical resurrection that we are given. So what does this mean to us? What does it mean for us to live in to the live into the truth and hope of the gospel and live lives that are anti-Gnostic? So here's some application for us today. First of all, it can be really tempting, especially with the internet, to look for secret ideas. You know, you see these things that pop up. One tip for keeping weight off the rest of your life, right? Do this one thing every day and you will, right? That's, it's kind of Gnosticism. And then there are the bigger things like the conspiracy theories, right? Did you really know? Do you hear about this thing? Do you know what the, the cabal is trying to do now, right? It, that, don't waste your time on that. And not right now because I'm gonna prove it's not true. It's because we already have knowledge. We already have gnosis. Irenaeus, the friend I keep mentioning from the first century. Jack, can you forward this for me, please? Irenaeus wrote that the true Gnosticism is the gospel. The true Gnosticism is the gospel. It's not these other ideas. And when we spend time thinking about and spending time with these other ideas, they take up mental real estate in our minds. They take up space. They, they lease out our parking lot of our heart and mind, and they take us away from Jesus because we already know. We already know what the problem is. We already know what the beginning is. We already know what the hope is in Jesus. Secondly, Recognize the holiness of your own body. Recognize the holiness of your own body. That means to refrain from sexual immorality, to participate in the sacraments, right? Christianity is a deeply embodied faith. The sacraments are physical. This is why physical coming to church is so important, because our practices inform who we are. What we do with our bodies matters. It's not a shoebox for the soul. It is not to be flagellated and hated, but it's also not necessarily to be bedazzled and thought of as, as just the shell of who we are or just a possession we own. Because for people who are in Christ, our bodies are not our own. They're God's. They're God's possession. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth that was really influenced by some Gnostic ideas, uh, there was tons of problems going on. A huge one was just many different issues about sexual morality. And he wrote to them about this, but I think it incorporates all of these practices that we do with our body. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Her bodies are part of Christ. And then he continues, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body. God has saved us in Christ, body and soul. It's not our possession. It is for the glory of God. And then finally, sometimes this can be hard because we think about creation and and the body being made good, um, but then we think about the reality of things we might be experiencing like chronic pain or cancer or just the pains of aging, disease. And, And we're not done yet, right? We are still hoping for an imperishable resurrection. Sin has corrupted everything, including our bodies. And so it's sort of like, at this stage, we're all kind of together in a waiting room. We're in a waiting room together with you know, bodies that are broken because of sin. And who we're waiting for is for the great physician, Jesus, to come in and heal us all on the day of resurrection. And we read in scripture, in the book of Revelation, that when Jesus comes again, when the physician re-enters the room physically, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the first order of things has passed away. Our Lord Jesus, who was raised from the dead, will raise us from the dead, perishable for imperishable. My friends, Christianity through and through is anti-Gnostic. We see it in the story of scripture. We see it in the hope we have for the future. We see it in our invitation to, to practice sacraments physically, to live holy lives as best we can. People who are doctors or who care for the human body are doing strong anti-Gnostic work because bodies matter to God. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we image God. When I reflected on the Apostles' Creed this week, the Apostles' Creed is full of anti-Gnostic affirmations. So I invite you with me to stand and we'll recite the Apostles' Creed together, affirming affirming our gospel faith, which is anti-Gnostic. Let us affirm together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is 